Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. On this week's Miranda Warnings, we're speaking with Max Kenner, executive director of the Bard Prison Initiative. Welcome, Max. Terrific to be here. Thank you very much, Max, for being with us today. We're going to talk a little bit today about the Bard Prison Initiative and, and what they do, uh, and uh, a little bit about the impact of uh, the coronavirus, both on uh, your mission and uh, its impact on our prison system here in New York State. Uh, Max, why don't you, let's start with the Bard Prison Initiative. Uh, it's, a, it's a nonprofit uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the work that uh, that you do. Sure. So the Bard Prison Initiative, BPI, uh, is roughly 20 years old and one of the largest and longest standing college and prison programs in the United States. College and prison strikes some people as something of a novelty. Actually, college opportunity was standard fare in American prisons, state and federal prisons, uh, nationally, uh, for more than a generation, uh, and was wiped out with the Clinton crime bill in 1994, which explicitly made incarcerated people ineligible for federal Pell Grants. And so we went from a situation in 1994 where college and prison was virtually everywhere to one in 95 where it was almost nowhere, uh, despite the fact that college does more to reduce recidivism, violence, save money, uh, employability, et cetera, than any other thing we do in our prisons and for less cost. So BPI was founded in 1999 as a response to that crisis, uh, and we've been in the business ever since. And so, and so the whole point is that uh, we have someone that's incarcerated, uh, perhaps if uh, during their time uh, they can receive an, ed- an education so that when they are released back out uh, to society after serving their time, that they can be productive members of society. And uh, this would uh, both do them good and do the public good by uh, decreasing uh, recidivism, which we see uh, uh, sometimes when people get out of prison, they in, they have no place to turn, really, but back to uh, the, the crimes that, that brought us them there in the first place. That's exactly right. College and prison does more cost-efficiently that we would hope prisons to do than anything else we do in the landscape of criminal punishment. But, David, I would add that it does something else centrally important uh, that has almost nothing to do with criminal justice or with crime or punishment. And that is that college and prison is an opportunity for us to address or begin to address our worst failings and worst inequities in how we distribute access to college education in the United States. It streamlines potentially and ideally the highest quality college opportunity into those communities that we as college educators have typically failed to engage the most frequently. 
Right. Now, um, the BARD Prison Initiative actually provides uh, college credit degrees, uh, associates, bachelors uh, degrees uh, for uh, those that are uh, incarcerated in New York State prisons. You actually, um, most of the time, at least, you, you, in addition to providing educational materials, you actually provide instructors that go uh, into the facilities? Uh, well, not, not, not most of the time, all of the time. Everything we do, well, at least until this current crisis, which I think we'll yes, to talk right. about, That's what I mean. um, has right. happened in person uh, on principle, right? We are, right. Uh, you know, human touch is a phrase that we deploy quite a lot when we talk about our work. And right. what happens in a BPI classroom resembles what happens in a college seminar in almost any college campus or college setting across the United States. And we offer a full breadth of a liberal arts education, science, mathematics, history, literature, the arts, etc. Students pursue first associate and then bachelor's degrees. They can choose from an array of majors. Uh, and BPI students after release from prison have gone on to finish terminal degrees at universities including Columbia, Yale, NYU, Cornell, et cetera. So what you see in yeah. the prison population is the deepest well of radically underutilized talent that we have here in the United States today. So you mentioned two things there. One is uh, human touch, the human touch, and the other is uh, it's very similar to what we see on uh, other college campuses. Um, and so, you know, right now we're in uh, the midst of this uh, coronavirus uh, crisis. And, you know, our colleges have sent their students home to, to work online. Human touch uh, is something now that is uh, the human touch is frowned upon because it uh, could possibly uh, trans transmit the, the coronavirus. So uh, how have your services uh, now changed? So we made a very difficult decision uh, about a week ago or a week before we're talking um, in the second week of March to suspend all our in-person operations in the prisons uh, indefinitely. Uh, and when I say indefinitely, for sure, we look forward to resuming them as quickly as possible. Uh, right. the, the but of course, I, I mean, at this point, uh, there's no way of, of knowing uh, when that might be possible. No. And you said you, you made the decision on your own, but I would suspect that if you waited a little bit longer, the decision would have been made for you in light of the fact that uh, virtually all businesses are now uh, at, at some sort of reduced uh, labor uh, force. Yes, though the prisons are public institutions and they are unusual ones. And I would point to a real tension. And I think uh, the leadership of the department here in New York feels this tension. We feel this tension. Uh, taxpayers should feel this tension, which is that anyone who has genuine concern for people who are incarcerated knows not only programs like ours, not only strictly college opportunity, but people who come in not as staff, but to serve other functions in the prisons, play a critical role. 
and that it makes those institutions significantly worse and makes conditions for the people within them significantly worse when none of us in New York were referred to as volunteers, when no volunteers are there. So right. the department is loath to turn us out and believe, believe me, we are loath not to be there. However, right. so- there's also a terrible and, and, and terrifying public health risk in introducing the virus to the prisons. Once this virus is in, in, introduced to a prison, it run, we run the risk of it ripping through that entire population very quickly. And um, we don't want to risk doing that. And I think the professionals who run the department uh, have a terrible dilemma on their hands on how to contain and manage that risk. Right. So your concern was uh, in, in, in uh, suspending services was to ensure that none of your uh, volunt- uh, instructors were uh, potentially unwittingly bringing in the virus into the prison, which is obviously in a very confined uh, and vulnerable uh, environment. That's exactly right. Everything the public health professionals are telling us is to stay away from uh, places with high population density, right? And uh, the prisons are exactly that, and there is nowhere to go. People are obviously not free to leave. And from our perspective, the demand to isolate, the imperative that we isolate ourselves, contradicts every impulse and ethic in our being. Uh, But there is this imperative to keep the virus out of the prisons and protect people within them particularly the sick and elderly. Well, so, you know, you've been uh, in the facilities up until last, uh, up until recently, at least. You're obviously, uh, you, your work um, is something that uh, you do, uh, certainly in coordination with the Department of Corrections. What are you seeing or what are you uh, understanding is going on in the prison system in New York State now? during this crisis? So even from my perspective, it is very hard to know. We do know that the people who run these institutions are working very hard to uh, maintain a level of uh, cleanliness and, you know, doing what they can to, uh, to protect those institutions from the virus, but the virus is a- as invisible there, if not more, than it is out here in the free world. Uh, and that's going to be very difficult to do. And unfortunately, you know, with the limited, limited testing we have for this virus, uh, we're not going to know what is happening in the prisons until A, there is mass testing, or B, everyone gets sick. Uh, and unfortunately, that's very similar to the situation the rest of us are in in New York and across the country. But in the prisons, of course, uh, A, we have too many older people in prison who are particularly vulnerable, and B, no one can leave. I know uh, you mentioned el- the uh, elderly uh, uh, prisoners and, and those that are particularly vulnerable. I know there's a, a discussion uh, about possibly releasing uh, inmates that are over 50 that have health problems? Uh, Do you have any insights with respect to that particular proposal? 
the numbers in terms of how old the person should be vary depending on who you're talking to. However, I would say that all of us, advocates, professionals in corrections, are very concerned on behalf of this population. Uh, they are not a population that necessarily have a better place to go, so the logistics are fraught. Uh, but there are also people in prison, for example, who might be ill or might be older and are approaching a parole date, or people in prison who received considerably more time 15 or 20 or 30 years ago for a crime than they would receive today. Or there are even people in prison who have been released by parole and are waiting for a release date in April or May or June. And if those people are not in good health, uh, the governor has it in his power to consider letting some of these people out the door earlier if they have a safe place to go. Yeah, and I so the, that last if is an important one because I you know you wonder uh, if uh, someone just being released back into a society that is now in virtually in in a in a shutdown mode uh, if that's going to be better or worse for someone that has uh, a medical condition that needs attention. David, it would be uh, irresponsible and dishonest for me or anyone to say that they knew exactly what the right thing to do here is. The challenge logistically of doing this in the right way is something that is impossible to do at a very fast pace or to do with while government officials have to deal with everything else having to do with this crisis. Uh, but there is also the moral imperative to pr protect people who are inside the prisons and vulnerable. So I think something must be done, but that's easy to say, and what and how to do it are really challenging questions. Right, right. You know, we're seeing, obviously you're focusing on New York. We're seeing, you know, around the world as a result of the impact of the coronavirus and, and certainly the uh, the, the hardship that we're all facing certainly is uh, exacerbated and, and multiplied for those that are incarcerated. We're seeing, you know, we've seen riots in prison riots in Italy and Brazil related to uh, the impact of the coronavirus. Uh, are, is that something that is a concern here in New York? And uh, is there anything that we're doing to try to ensure that that doesn't uh, happen here as well? I don't think that is a concern here in New York. And for all our problems, I do want to say that I think the prison system here in New York is run in a way that is significantly uh, superior and more professional than not only compared to places across the country, uh, across the world, but certainly across the country. I don't think riots are uh, something we need to be worried about in the immediate term, but that doesn't mean we don't have a uh, profound ethical obligation. And just to say it, uh, jail and prison systems in California and Ohio and other places around the country have started releasing people since this crisis began uh, just earlier this week. And we may see that uh, here in New York uh, 
before too long. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know if now when, when uh, prisons are releasing people, are they being tested before they're put out into the general population? David, are you able to get a test for this virus? Uh, well, I'm, I haven't sought one. Um, I'm just wondering if, you know, if we're releasing people, uh, if that's something that uh, is on the table for uh, individuals being released out to the population. So you're saying no. Uh, Look, that, the, the, the incapacity of, our, 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 of people in this country to get their hands on tests and the incapacity of the professionals to provide us with them is, is what is making this crisis so different in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Right. Uh, but I don't right. think either the people who run the prisons or the people within them should be held responsible for that. Right. Okay. Um, and but we we know that at least in New York, there we're seeing now uh, a couple of instances of either staff or prisoners having contracted the the coronavirus, um, and obviously that's a concern. We have seen that uh, in, I believe, multiple instances now on Rikers Island, and also in one or two of the downstate state prisons uh, among staff. So this is starting to happen. Uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that it's starting to happen. Even when, uh, when these prisons go down to essential staff only, we have no choice but to let hundreds of people in and out of them every day. Uh, and so people in prison and the prisons themselves aren't immune to uh, the weather or things in the air uh, or in our bodies uh, any different than any other institution where people live. Now, I know that the uh, Bard Prison Initiative uh, is uh, advocating for federal legislation that might be uh, of assistance to educating those that are incarcerated. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, progress you're making in that regard. Right. So the first thing I would say is we have a long history of being a one-issue institution. We are not. Uh, we don't do advocacy per se outside of advocating for the restoration of college and prison around the United States. Uh, so the crisis that we're in now is an exception to that, and I think just speaks to the gravity of the current crisis, at least how we perceive the gravity of the current crisis. Uh, but nationally, as I said, college used to be a central part, and I think the most effective part of what we did in prisons in the United States. And its evisceration was perhaps the most cynical piece of a terribly cynical piece of legislation, uh, the 1994 Clinton crime bill. And now after over 25 years, we are at a moment where there is a bipartisan consensus, not only that we have invested far too much in prisons and punishment over other social institutions, but also that we should restore college opportunity. Uh, so there is federal legislation now to restore Pell eligibility to incarcerated people nationwide. Uh, that's being supported by very 
conservative senators, including Mike Lee of Utah, Senator Langford in Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera, as well as an array of Democratic sponsors. Uh, it will pass the House. It will pass the Senate. It will be it's supported by the Secretary of Education. Uh, it would become law if it could come up for a vote. And I'm optimistic if, and not if, when we return to normal, that might happen. Um, and also there is a grassroots campaign to restore eligibility for incarcerated people here in New York to the statewide equivalent of Pell, what we call the tuition assistance program, the TAP program, which Governor Pataki uh, took away from us uh, really immediately after he was uh, uh, took office, I think in 1996. Well, uh, Max Kenner, uh, I thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I thank you for your time with us here on Miranda Warnings. I, we have a feature on Miranda Warnings. Obviously, the topics we're talking about are, are, are very serious topics, but we have a feature that's a little more lighthearted called Music, Book, or Movie, where we ask you to share with us uh, an artistic performance that uh, perhaps means something to you, either related to this topic or, or otherwise, that can better inform our listeners. Well, uh, while I'm working mostly from home uh, in isolation during this crisis, I am um, taking a look back at the piano playing of McCoy Tyner, one of the great jazz pianists. So, um, not no particular yes. record, but reviewing that and enjoying it quite a bit. McCoy Tyner, yes, uh, it's certainly worth uh, another another listen to. Uh, a great a great jazz pianist. And so thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you for being with us, Max, on Miranda Warnings. Thank you for having me and for all you do, David. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.